What would you like to do if money were no object? Wealth is a product of the mind. No amount of money you ever achieve will make you wealthy. Now is the time to take risk. Winners don't make excuses when the other side plays the game. Failure is just there to point you in a different direction. You're listening to the In Light Podcast with your host, Max Starr. Welcome to the In Light Podcast. My name is Max. Joining me today is John and Colin from the In Light team. Before we get started here, I just wanted to let you all know as we get into uploading regular podcasts that if you have not joined already, join our mailing list where we will send the podcast every single week straight to your inbox. Just go to learn.inlighttrading.com forward slash list. All right, now let's hop into the conversation. Gentlemen. Okay, so the conversation today is on a blog post we will be posting at the same time as this podcast about John's expeditions in Mongolia. John, if you want to kick us off and tell us a little bit about it. Um, I know Colin's not too familiar with the story, so hopefully we can get some good reactions out of him. Um, But yeah, please enlighten us. Yeah, sure. So 2013, I was working in Singapore. And at the time, uh, looking at distressed debt, and the world was starved for good ideas. So one of them that came up was Monmin, Mongolian mining. So this is a Mongolian mining business, hence Monmin, hence Mongolian mining, focused on uh, met coal. So met coal is the coal that you use for steel making. And Mongolia is like this crazy resource-rich country. Um, it's like northern Minnesota. There's a lot of iron resources. Um, it's, it's just rich in all these resources. But so Monmin had, had issued this, this, I think it was $500 million USD high yield bond. And all the underwriters and advisors have gotten like deal the year awards um, for underwriting this bond. Um, so clearly this, this was interesting, right? So this, you know, the, the end markets were China, right? So at the time China was growing, 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 demand for steel growing, 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 demand for met coal growing, growing, growing. So I wanted to go check this thing out for myself. Um, so it, it could go either way, right? So this thing was kind of on the precipice. Um, if you look at the underwriting documents, the plan that they had was very aggressive, a lot of growth, volumes, customers, and it hadn't played out yet. So I decided to join this trip to Mongolia, Ulan Bator, specifically the capital city, to go meet with the management team. Um, kind of on a whim, but I thought, look, if I went up and figured this thing out, like I'd be a hero, right? I could short this thing, I could go along this bond, and I'd have stories forever. And I do have the stories forever, but the story of being a hero is one for later on. Um, so fast forward, um, I remember turning to my assistant, I'm like, hey, I need a ticket to Ulan Bator. And she's like, where, where the hell is that? I'm like, well, it's, it's the capital of Mongolia. There's like one airline that flies in there. It's um, the national airline, which tangential, um, you know, it was just sort of an amusing story getting on their, their DC-9. And then there's like pictures of like the German chancellor everywhere. And there's this relationship between Mongolia and Germany where they had so this trade deal. And they flew at that time to like Hong Kong, Beijing, and then I think Munich, uh, just because of this relationship with Germany. So we're airborne, you know, checking out the map. It's always funny. Like, wow, I wonder why that is. Um, so land at Genghis Khan Airport, like truly Genghis Khan Airport. And it's what you'd imagine it's this like 70s style Soviet with like all the sweet lighting and, and architecture, like very brutalist. Um, you know, get on the minibus and we're dra- traveling through and like the development is wild. It's sort of like a two lane highway that's going to like six lanes and the construction season is like four months. So I guess I didn't really put together like it's 
freezing cold most of the time. So these guys are jamming, jamming, jamming. So we're driving in and we're going on the tour. I did a little bit of research in the front end. So UB, as they call it, um, it's a city that was designed uh, for like 400,000 people. And when we rolled in, there were at least 1.2 million, if not more. So you had a city proper that was built. Mongolia's traded hands between China and Russia over time, and now it's fiercely independent. But so you got like elements of architecture from both these times, and then Western architecture that had popped up in the last like five years of the time when this commodity boom had taken place. But in the foothills, you could see like the yurts and like the nomadic farmers. So like the, the juxt was amazing, right? So like this steel and blue, blue glass, and then like three, four clicks away, you know, people were out migrant farming. Um, so we roll in and there were a bunch of meetings that were set up before this one. So the first ones we had were with local banks. And uh, about a year prior, a pretty big investment bank came to town um, and, and bought a minority stake in one of these banks. Thinking it was this growth market, because it was clearly a commodity play. So everyone else was trying to catch up. So we're having meetings with these banks. And they were you know, very awesome meetings. Just like some of the stuff was wild. So it's like 30% loan growth year over year, which if you're in finance, that's, that's unheard of. Like for a stretch in time, you usually can't do loan growth like that and maintain quality, but somehow they had, right? So a little bit like, a, mm. so you know, questioning about what are these loans going towards, mining equipment, okay, infrastructure development, until totally get it. There was some hospitality pieces to it. And then the one that like surprised me the most, they were, they were making loans to the nomadic farmers um, and they'd go collect them based on landmarks. So unlike you know, a loan where your mortgage comes with like a payment slip or you have a corporate address, they would go out to a, like a coordinate like literally like the, you know, the, I'm making this up, like the Oak tree 20 paces past the rock or whatever. And they meet the, the borrower there like every month and the borrower would pay them physically. And they'd make wow. loans in that, right. And the collateral would be, uh, the herd. Um, so the guys are telling us about that and you're trying not to have reactions like, what? Like, okay. You know, like, how do you, the question's like, how do you, anyway, and you don't ask the questions, but no, no. So the first bank meeting we had ended, I wish I had a photo of this, I, I couldn't find it, but we're in a yurt that they'd constructed on top of this like six story office building. And it's, I mean, it's fantastic. Like it's just for show, but like this yurt like overlooking. Um, so a couple bank meetings. Um, and then we met with um, the telecom company, the local telecom company. I don't know what my cell goal was there, by the way. Like I'm sure it was like the roaming was insane, but they just rolled out 3G. And they were just like super proud of 3G, which I get it. You know, it's not not like this. This is like the cusp of, of new tech. But like these bankers were just railing, like, when's your 4G rollout? Like, you know, when are you going to be acquired by blah 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 blah? And they're just like, we're not. You know, it's just like these weird bankers like trying to push their deal because they wanted to bring in, you know, or Deutsche Telekom or Singtel or whoever. Like, clearly they're going to want to buy this 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 true growth story. And when that growth story wasn't there, you could tell they were a little disturbed. Um, but from there. Uh, <laughs> We went on a dinner, um, which was just fine. I'm not laughing about it, but just, I think in Asia, I had more food with heads on it than I've ever had anywhere else. Like, I don't mean like whole fish. I mean like other, other animals with heads. So this, this was, um, I, mean, I, I don't know what comes to mind when someone's like, hey, you know, Mongolian dinner, boom. Like what, what comes to mind? Like, I know when someone tells me like, hey, think of like an English meal in the, in the 80s, right? It was like meat and potatoes, which, which mm -hmm. this was. This was heavily, heavily meat and then like fried starch. But the meat was, um, Yak, goat, including a fried whole goat head, like with the eyeballs, like the whole thing. Like, I'm not sure if you've seen, um, is James Bond, is it Octopussy, the, the one with the, the circus? And I think that they eat a goat head in that. I think so, yeah. 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 So we had the goat head and then like gallons of like super cheap, you know, Russian vodka with names like, you know, gold standard, and like just the stuff that you'd imagine, which 
yeah, didn't set up really well. But um, and then the the, the um, our sponsor, like local gentleman, was like, "We're going to go out to my club. Going to go out to my club." And everyone's a little happy at that point. We've had a little bit of vodka and whatever. I'm like, great, let's do it. So we go back to the hotel. I'm like, for some reason, I'm like, I gotta like hit record. Like, how are we getting there? <laughs> you know, like think of time and like think of landmarks. Cause like, dude, there's like a decent chance that these guys are going to be like out all night and you're going to want to go home. It's like, that's my MO. So we get on the school bus and we're driving through like the streets of Luan Vator at like, I don't know, it was like 10 or 11 at that point. And it's like windy. Um, and so it's like kind of that dust, you know, like, like a tumbleweeds, but like dust and things moving down the street. And I'm like, all right, what are we two clicks east? Okay. And then like we start turning and I'm like, I think I can get back to that main street. And I don't know what the names of the streets are. They're unreadable. We get to the club and after like a 20 minute discussion, we end up paying $10 cover charge and we're like the only ones in there, but it's like this multiplex, which is sponsored by, uh, uh, Johnny Walker. It's yeah. fantastic. So like, there's all these like Johnny Walker posters everywhere. And like, we're getting a bottle of Johnny Walker. Um, and then the band comes on and the band is a, um, this is all true story. Uh, the, the band, <laughs> you know, cover band that had been flown in from Manila to Tulum to play at this club. Um, and it's not that Filipino doesn't matter, but just like how in the world did that, like why? And they start off with, um, no doubt on, like, I think it was underneath it all or something. They start covering the song and I like, I just can't hold it together anymore. Like I just kind of lose it. And I'm like texting people and there's like this light show behind them. It's like this laser, like this eighties laser top gun. Like there's like F-14s flying and like laser shot. And then, um, and the club starts getting full Like more people. There's, there's a bunch of different like business groups gathering. So at the end of the song, she stops and she points to me. She's like, like name a song or something. And I couldn't, like, I just, I just, like, fucking lost it. So she, like, moves on to the next person, sorry for my language. Um, but that, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. So, like, another hour goes by. We get in the bus and thankfully did not need to walk home. Like, that was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did have to get up at 4 a.m. for my fantasy football draft. So all these people in, like, in Minneapolis and New York or whatever, like, hey, you know, and they're late. And I'm like, come on, guys. Like, we got to go. They're, and they're like, are you? like I'm, in, um, I'm in Mongolia. Oh, my God. So I send photos out of the hotel room. Um, <laughs> Which of course, yeah. Um, so we get to the meeting, right? So we get to the meeting with, with the, the mining group and it all goes well. Um, so one of the issues, and this is just you know, stuff you, do, you don't even think about, but one of the issues they were having was logistics. So a lot of these mining businesses, sometimes it's easy to get the coal out or get whatever out, but like do you ship it by train? Do you put it on a boat, is it trucks, whatever. So early on in life, getting enough of these like big cat trucks is hard. You can imagine that in your way of landlocked. Mm-hmm. So you gotta ship them and then you gotta drive them. But, uh, so they had a really interesting issue. So they had, they were transporting the coal by rail. So they're taking it to the border with China. And then for some reason, which will be apparent in a moment, they were switching it to another train and then taking it into wherever. And like, you know, raise your hand, like, why don't you just do one train? Like, hey, look at that, you know, supply chain master, one train. The guy's like, that would be wonderful. Except when the rail system was built in Mongolia, it was built by the Soviets who used a different gauge rail than the Chinese rail. So they built the rail system to the border with just a little bit different rail because they were afraid that they were going to be invaded by rail. Um, mm-hmm. They thought that naturally that's the way you would take, I guess, West. How, um, how orderly of them. Yeah. Right. Just with yeah. <laughs> a little blue engine that could, you know, I think I can. Um, so they built this system that like just totally inhibited it. So their solution is they were going to build this rail spur that was going to you know, use the right gauge rail for China. And that was mm-hmm. all going to be, so that was the information that was no good to get. Um, 
I, other pieces I didn't put in the blog that I thought were hysterical just because I didn't want to get long in the tooth. So I'm like a bold, Germanic white male. So I'm walking through the city and I've got, I didn't really know how to dress. Candidly, it was like kind of an expedition. So I'm wearing like a cargo coat, jeans and boots. And people would just like grab my shoulder and just start speaking Russian at me. Like, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, not, or you know, something like an Eastern German language. I'm like, no, thank you. Sorry, sorry. Um, so that happened a bunch. I, oh, I skipped the Ministry of Finance meeting. So one, one of the other meeting we had that they wanted us to meet was, if, if you go on these tours, a lot of it's like you'll meet, especially if you're doing developing markets, they'll have you meet, um, depending on who's got the pull, like the central bank authorities or, or something like that. They just want to tell you what their policy is as far as budget and, and you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we went to the Ministry of Finance and it's in this like crumbling, a very Soviet brutalist building. Like the floors were veneered over something, but they were giving and like, put these like bump ups over things like you're tripping every you know six meters or something it was very strange but so we go into the board the boardroom um we're just kind of waiting and then all of a sudden like this entourage rolls in and like shaking hands and like taking photos like you know the, the slow and then like the camera and then like the slow I'm like what the, you know so and then the speaker begins and then mr finance and through his his translator said you know we're really thankful for all these western banks to be here and investors who are supporting the economy and it's like okay like i like completely surprised. Like we were just expecting a you know, nice to meet you. Here's what we do here. You know, who are you? Whatever, a coffee or something. But this was like the, Hey, you know, everyone we're going to invest in is like very propaganda ish. So we were joking on the way out, like hundred percent chance. Like there was like a photo in the, in the newspaper the next day of like, you know, <laughs> one of us Westerners in the ministry of finance, like, Hey, you know, economic development, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we had the meeting with, with mom and I mentioned, um, so on the, on the way out, um, so the guy that led the trip is like, you know, you need to get some souvenirs for your family. And this, this is, I think it's funny. I'm like, all right, great. So one of the, one of the products they have to export besides natural resources is, um, is wool. So they've got like these amazing cashmere factories, which I'm not sure if you can find it anywhere else, but so they went to the cashmere store and like everything is on sale. Cause like the currency had gone, gone, gone bonkers. Um, I remember having a, a receipt that was like, you know, 1.4 million something. And it translated to like $700 or something. Like I just I remember saying, you know, I was like, look at this, like, this is crazy. Like a bag, yeah. you know, a, bag, a bag of cashmere, get on the plane, get back. Like so I ended up like trading that bond a couple of times, which is great, but um, ended up that they didn't get to where they needed. It looked like things were going well. And then their, their prospects fell off in Mongolia. We went through some problems. I think the IMF had to come back in and bail them out or, or do something because the currency got a little wonky, um, which goes to show what can happen when your economy is all resource and you don't have a reserve currency. Um, but I traded a couple times. I remember um, end of the year party. It's just like the head of the office would tell stories like, you know, here's the weirdest thing that happened this year, whatever. And he's like, John, why did you, why did you go to Mongolia? I'm like, shit. I'm like, I thought, you know, I thought that I'd get the, Hey, that was pretty cool. And good trades. I'm like, and then I sat back. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the stories are fun, but I guess kind of the, the collective wisdom is like, that's just way too out there. Like if you find yourself looking for ideas and it requires that level of sort of out there-ness, I'm not, it's not to say anything going on in Mongolia is out there, but like, that's like out there. That's like a couple of degrees away from where you're, I had no business being there. I had no expertise in the resource side, still don't, or, you know, in foreign market in markets like that, but it was right there. So I took it. But I guess the lesson for others is like, if you find yourself stretching that far, reaching that far, maybe just take a second and wonder if that's where you should go. When did you realize that looking back, was it how much profit you made or like, when did you realize that it wasn't worth the investment you made into it, the time investment? I think it was when we got on the bus to go out that night. Yeah. 
like there have been nights where you go out in places and you're like, this is a bad idea, but mm-hmm. when you're like, counting the clicks away from your hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Like it wasn't like a break for my life. There was nothing, there's no like pressing threat yeah. um, or immediate threat. But yeah, when you're like, mm, should I just, yeah. Like if you feel like there's parts of things that you shouldn't participate in because of just general safety like that, or yeah. even if you don't feel comfortable like that, that's not to say you shouldn't experience new things. That's, that's not at all, but just sort of a general level of like, yeah, you know, this, this probably isn't, Mm-hmm. I've had friends that have had similar circumstances like in other countries where you know, Indonesia, for instance, where they felt very uncomfortable. And after the fact, people are like, oh, yeah, you know, I share that feeling as well. And that's why, you know, I do, when I travel, I do this or when I travel, I don't do that. Or if okay. I have communication, but I'll, you know, I'm staying in and I need to work or something like that. So but do you see a situation like this doing primary research that would be worth it for an investment? Or do you feel like it's just not worth it in general to go to these lengths? I mean, if you want to go to lengths, it's, it's good like that, but I don't think you want to put yourself in a place where, I mean, looking back, like the amount we could trade wasn't that big. It was one bond, right? So yeah. it wasn't like a bunch of different things you could get from it. So there wasn't all this like tangential information or extra information you could get that's applicable elsewhere. I mean, we weren't going to buy the 3G phone company or the local yeah. bank, but that wasn't on the menu. Um, so like, had there been more to it, yeah. But I think just okay. one thing to go that far and like to do one trade, like it just wasn't. It wasn't going to be like a lights out sort of thing either. So yeah. it never potential to be. Why did you do it in the first place? I mean, it was there. That sounds stupid. <laughs> it was like, it seemed so preposterous. I'm like, this isn't real. You know, yeah. and then we're playing like, oh, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> well, yeah. shiny ball syndrome. We all, get, we all get that in trading where you see that, uh, that setup forming, whether it's fundamental or technical, and you want to verify it minimize your risk and then take the trade i think there was another gentleman that we, we crossed over with quite a bit and he was like yeah i think i'm gonna go I'm like we're kind of like all right you know i'll go if you go mm-hmm. and then you're on the plane and because it's I'm like looking around i'm like oh <laughs> so you john you mentioned too like you weren't necessarily like deep into the resource yeah. like resource side so like how you know, do you think that that factors into the like, is you is the effort worth it, you know, based on your familiarity with like, you know, the field or your depth in the field? Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, they could have been telling me anything about the coal. And I'd be like, yeah, that sounds just like amazing. <laughs> you know, it's just like writing notes down, writing notes down. And you're like, when the guy's like looking at the other guy, I'm like, he's buying it. And you're like, yeah, I'm buying it. I don't know. Um, yeah. Because I know, I know Max like talks a little bit about like in trading, just from a really high level kind of, you know, like having a, a handful of, of, you know, companies that you, you know, are, you know, have some level of familiarity with, or you, mm-hmm. you know, that you start to, you know, I'm going to conduct my research here and I know this and, you know, and then, and then the trades kind of come from that. Yeah. I call it your family of companies or your family of stocks. Yeah. It's the five or six companies that you are very familiar with that no matter what they're doing, you can make a trade off of it for the most part. I like it. And so I guess I like for John, not that. yeah. yeah. <laughs> this was not in the family for sure. <laughs> yeah. But you got the story out of it. What else did you take away from it? Besides, I mean, you said you short, you shorted the bond, you bought it. Um, mm-hmm. So you took both sides, you traded it like normal, but I'm assuming you probably would have traded it the exact same way if you hadn't gone. You just had a little bit more comfort in yeah, picking this. Having, 
having the you know, that thing about the rail thing is minute as that sounds that was like oh okay and then like trying to describe that to people like try putting that in an investment memo like usually it's like no there's logistics issues and you're like no like the, the rail gauge yeah and i'm like i'm doing exactly what i'm doing right now like i'm reading it to someone i'm like making like hand gestures as if like oh got it thick thick thin you know like as if as if like me doing that and you're like oh got it now right? yeah. um but, like writing that in an investment memo and then people are like you know at the time the the, the two CIOs or the people that kind of made the ultimate decision were U.S. based and London based. So very much, okay. And then, the, you know, the, the guy, the guy out of London, very smart too. But he, they had looked at the Eastern Europe a little bit. So that was, it wasn't like completely new. But like to, to tell that story to someone who traded the U.S., they're like, you know, like yeah. there, there's no certain. It's, it's like, oh, so you're telling me the GW Bridge. Um, so you made the lanes too narrow for cars that drive in New York. Why would you do that? And like, well, because they're going to invade us, you know? And it's just like, they're just like no one would like, what? Like, yeah. So that was good. But um, yeah, it was not in the family of companies by any means. Okay. That's amazing. It was fun for you. You, I'm, I'm assuming, came away in profit at least, which is important. Um, but I'm, it's weird that I guess the different sized gauge rails make sense that they wouldn't understand that fine. But you just simply saying, hey, this is a logistics issue. Let's realize this logistics issue is in there. Let's buy in because there's enough fundamentals behind this investment or this trade. And then monitor every three to six months how this logistics issue is being resolved. If it's if there's progress towards resolution, then we stay long. If there's not, then we get out of the trade. But it seems like it wasn't exactly like that. It was more you bought in and the company had other issues that came up and then other issues that came up and it turned into a mess, not just one logistics issue. Yeah. We, um, we ended up buying it just, it was field maturity was nice. And I thought the asset coverage was there and you can model out what that cash flows would look like. So mm-hmm. it looked good on a perspective basis and then traded up kind of hit where I thought it would be. And it was no longer interesting, moved out of it. And then it kind of got too rich. And then the financials came out that it looked like, you know, coal, coal prices had moved in such a way. So going the other way with it, um, that is the nuance as well. So this was, if you want to talk about, again, why this shouldn't be on your list of companies, Mongolian issuer, Hong Kong listed, U.S. dollar. Um, so like if you want to talk about, like, if this, it did go through a restructuring finally. But like, yeah, that was one of the risk factors. Like, if this thing ever decided that they wanted to restructure, like, whatever they give you, that's cool. Like, there's just... Like try going through that daisy chain of corporate mm-hmm. structure. Um, yeah, so, so it's too work. complicated. Yeah, and just from a timing, and like you're going here, and then you're going there, and then you're hiring. I mean, the number of people you have to hire along the way, and like, I'm not going to walk into Ulan the tour with my. You know, here's my lawyer and my paperwork. Like, I'm going to get <laughs> other times. Yeah. All right, Colin, you have any similar crazy experiences in Mongolia? I personally I, don't. Uh, I've never been, never been to Mongolia. Neither have uh, I. Spent some time in um, in in Africa and um, yep. like Libya and and uh, a few other few other places like for that. finance gigs. Um, yeah, so we were we were actually working on um, a little bit. It, we were working on the denuclearization okay. of, of Libya and then shifting like uh, creating civilian you know, uses for some of those yeah. materials like desalinization and, and cancer treatment and things. And, and it is, it's a country that, you know, in like the late nineties, the 
life expectancy in Libya was like in the 50, you know, 58 years old. Mm-hmm. And by 20, 2007 or something like that, it was up into like the mid 60s. Oh, the, wow. You know, low 70s. Wow. So now people are living longer. You know, you had a population of however many million people and they had like two oncologists in the whole country. So they're talking about like, oh yeah, like we'll finance this cancer treatment facility in Benghazi. Um, but then like these issues are like, oh, what's the gauge of the railroad, right? It's like, mm-hmm. well, we can't stand <laughs> Like we have to change the whole curriculum of their medical school, of their like medical school program mm-hmm. and put it on a fast track and like hire in doctors from Egypt for three years before you know so it yeah it's it's fascinating the different things that go together or don't go together um and it's been interesting to see like even in the last couple of years i've made a lot of investments um in the in the legal cannabis industry and it's taken me to some interesting um interesting places there's one that we actually um did do that it's in an abandoned shopping mall in like on the border between Virginia, West Virginia and Tennessee in like this little triangle of land. Yeah. Um and yeah, it's it's like in an old JC Penney like location, multi-level JC Penney and they're growing like cannabis. First legal cannabis since George Washington in the state of Virginia. Um is now in the JC Penney former, you know, space. Nice. <laughs> Right where it belongs. Because it's normal. It's probably the most people that have ever been in that JC Penney. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, it's an interesting, it's like from uh, John's blog post last week where, you know, like that shopping mall is a perfect example of an asset that turned into a liability. Yeah. And it's Colin's talking about the flip uh, when assets turn into liabilities. The situation John wrote about that company's assets can very quickly turn into liabilities when there's lots of issues going on, such as what you're talking about. Right. right. You know, and I, we see see a lot of that. And, you know, like sometimes I'll see it. And a guy had a conversation with a guy the other day that that owned property and wanted, wanted to open a, a business in this property. And I said, look, I, like, the way it's set up and the way it's licensed and the regulatory environment. Um, like even if you gave me free rent for two years, like it's not worth it. Yeah. Like it is a true liability. Yeah. And this mall had sat vacant for five or six years. Amazing. Like entirely vacant. Um, and, uh, and when we went in there, it, like they hadn't even thought about, you know, stripping some of the stuff out. I was like, there's the, you know, it wasn't worth it to even like scrap the copper or, you know, any of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet they're also not going to, they're not going to use it. They're not going to put more shops in there, you know? Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. fascinating. If uh, those listening want to hear more about that and the topic of the flip and Colin's examples more on the cannabis and legal cannabis industry and how, cause I'm sure that's an industry where you see that, more than any because you're investing in so many assets up front but there's infinite risk behind it with legalization and all of that um then just let us know you know how to get a hold of us and other than that i think the biggest takeaway from john's story and from what you're saying colin is there's so much going on behind the scenes with these companies 
most of the people listening to, to this, I'm assuming, are just sitting behind their computers at home trading or investing if they're involved in the stock market in any way. And you can see the number on the screen, but if you don't look into the numbers and the paperwork of a company, and then the next level of flying out to Mongolia and going through this whole, like there's layers and layers and layers to all of the fundamentals and technicals behind a company that you just can never truly know everything that's going on. Even most CEOs don't know what's going on in their entire company. Um, so when you take an investment, just be aware of that, I suppose. You can't uh, factor in for all risks, so make sure you are not risking too much and that your reward is good. And in John's case, your reward seems worth it with stories and a few profits. <laughs> yeah. I think so. I think so. Some cashmere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and 1.2 million of cashmere, right? Yes. Just yeah. a different currency. That's fun. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining me. Thank you for listening. Anybody who's listening, we're going to do this every single week on discussing the blog of the week or discussing different topics, different stories we've all experienced in the investing, finance, trading space. Um, so keep listening. Keep, uh, stay tuned. Follow us on all the social media, our website, inlightrading.com. And you'll see every blog post and podcast we publish.